Welcome to the Community Safety Web Podcast, where we talk about creating safe communities through collaboration between the police, private security, criminologists, and the public to develop and evaluate evidence-based policy to guide safety decisions. The Community Safety Web Podcast is brought to you by the Policing, Security, Technology, and Private Security Research Policy Institute and is co-hosted by Brian Stevens and Daryl Stevens. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us for episode 11 of the Community Safety Web Podcast. As our regular listeners know, a key focus of our institute is police transparency and reform. Today, we'll be discussing sentinel event reviews and policing. Sentinel events are generally incidents with undesirable outcomes that may signify underlying systemic weaknesses, likely the result of multiple contributing factors. The study and exploration of those factors often identify ways to strengthen the system or process and prevent future negative outcomes. A sentinel event review is an examination involving all key stakeholders of the system in which the error occurred. Rather than assigning blame and punishing those making the error, the review aims to prevent similar issues in the future. This sentinel event review process, they have their roots in the manufacturing environment and have become widely used in other high-risk fields like aviation and healthcare. Over the past several years, the police have begun to utilize this process as well. Although not widespread, police departments in cities such as Seattle, Tucson, Madison, Milwaukee, New York, and Tempe, to name a few, have conducted these reviews. We're pleased to have Michael Scott with us today. He's a clinical professor and director of the Center for Problem-Oriented Policing at the School of Criminology and Criminal Justice at Arizona State University. Mike began his career in policing as a police officer in Madison, Wisconsin. He also served as the police chief. In fact, he helped create a new police department in Florida. He served as a special advisor to the chief in St. Louis and the NYPD commissioner. He was a senior researcher at Perth and clinical professor at the University of Wisconsin School of Law. He's a 1987 graduate of Harvard Law School, where he received his Juris Doctorate. Mike is also involved with a project at Arizona State University to explore the development of a statewide system for conducting sentinel event reviews of police use of force, particularly among vulnerable populations. Mike, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, this uh, initiative at ASU came about initially when I had already been exposed to the idea of Sentinel event reviews from my time at the Wisconsin Law School. And so I've been working on that issue, and I just happened to have an opportunity to talk to a couple of colleagues of mine at the ASU Law School who were interested in, in related areas of dispute resolution and bias in the criminal justice system and, and things like that. So I described to them as best I could, what the Sentinel event review uh, was about, and they were intrigued by it. And then an opportunity arose for us to apply for funding with the American Arbitration Association's Research Foundation. So we received a grant to do a couple of things here in the state of Arizona. One was to hold an annual or a, a statewide meeting that would invite key stakeholders 
to explore this idea of Sentinel event reviews, to understand what it is, what its core principles are, what application it has in other occupations. And then secondly, to test out and to apply the principles of Sentinel event review in up to four critical incidents involving police agencies in Arizona. And so to date, we are now working on the third of four, all at the request of the police agencies. These are not imposed from the outside. We were asked by the Tempe Police Department to review a critical incident there. We were asked by the Sedona Police Department to do one there. And we're currently doing one with the Surprise Police Department. And then we've got one or two in wait for the fourth and final one. And each of them are are different, involve different kinds of critical incidents, and uh, have different outcomes and different uh, different recommendations. So, Michael, I must admit, I was not overly familiar with this process when we discussed it as a a podcast topic for us in this episode. Can you just tell us a little bit more about who's generally involved mm-hmm. in these reviews and some of the fundamental principles associated with them? Yeah, you've touched on some of them. Uh, I'll start actually by saying I was not really fully aware of this concept when I first learned about it. And the way in which I learned about it was interesting. I was working at the Wisconsin Law School and out of the blue was contacted by a man in Wisconsin who said that his son had been shot and killed by the police in in a, a city in Wisconsin. And he said, and I'm the guy that is responsible for erecting all these billboards along the interstates in the state of Wisconsin that essentially ask, should police be allowed to investigate themselves? So he had spent a lot of money paying for these things, and he was raising the question because in his son's death, the local police department conducted a about a 48-hour investigation, uh, all internal, and very quickly exonerated their officer. And he had a lot of reason to believe that his son's death was a mistake of fact, not a deliberate uh, intentional killing by the police, but based on a mistake of fact. What was interesting, what this man was asking me to do was to provide him some guidance, some advice, and to maybe introduce him to the field of policing. Because he, it turns out he was a retired Air Force pilot, a lieutenant colonel. And he said, you know, if I ever crash my airplane, it would not be investigated solely by my wing commander. There'd be an outside investigation. And so he gave me kind of a a primer in how this concept is applied in aviation. And most people are familiar with the National Transportation Safety Board and the work that they do. So I ended up agreed to meet him. I invited a lot of people from around the state of Wisconsin, police chiefs and sheriffs and mayors and union officials. We put a lot of effort into bringing together a lot of stakeholders. And eventually we were able to, we were really focused on two things. The first was just the independent investigation. And he was, again, arguing that organizations ought not to investigate their own tragic and catastrophic failures, that that ought to be external. And so it took several years, but we eventually were able to persuade police chiefs, sheriffs, unions to support a piece of legislation, the first of its kind in the country, 
in which the state of Wisconsin now mandates that all police-involved deaths, the investigation be led by an agency outside the agency of the officers involved. The second half of it was then going to be creating a review board that would review those investigative findings and make recommendations to the, the agency of things that they needed to do to prevent similar future events. That was a bridge too far in that legislation, so it got dropped. But a few years later, we revisited it and had another major meeting in Wisconsin. And we brought in the National Transportation Safety Board. We brought in NASA. We brought in the Harvard Medical School. And they educated us on the process that they apply for unintended deaths in a a medical context, in aeronautics, Uh, or astronautics and in aviation. And we then drafted another piece of legislation for the state of Wisconsin, which is still pending before the the legislature there, that would create statewide sentinel event review system for police-involved critical incidents. And when I came to Arizona, I likewise then began to, to advocate for this here. So in Arizona, uh, just this year, This state has followed Wisconsin's lead and mandated external investigations of police-involved shootings. So we're still trying to move forward this idea of a statewide systemic sentinel event review process in both uh, Wisconsin and Arizona. And that's where things stand right now. So as it relates to the core elements of a sentinel event review, you've already touched on, on some of them. There are seven, seven or eight, what I think are critical elements of this review. The first is that it needs to be routine. If it's only done when a police chief says, I want it done, then it loses some legitimacy. If chiefs are just able to handpick the incidents that they want reviewed and uh, prohibit others from being reviewed. But the other feature of routinization is that you don't do it for just one, you do it for all events of a certain type. And that's going to more quickly give you a volume of knowledge on which the whole profession can take action uh, much more quickly. The second core element, I think, it focuses on preventing future harm, not assigning blame for past harm. Now, obviously, reviewing the past is necessary to preventing harm in the future, But it's really not about trying to assign blame for the bad outcome. The third key element is the examination of any and all relevant causes and contributing factors. And this is really important because in, if you think of it in a typical criminal investigation, the investigation is actually narrowly focused on whether or not a crime was committed. That's it. It's not interested in other factors other than criminal causation. And likewise, in in a typical administrative internal investigation review of a critical incident, there it can be somewhat broader, but it's for the most part focused only on did the officer uh, abide by department policy, yes or no. So when we get into uh, a fuller, broader examination of, of factors, they don't even have to be limited to things that the police did. They could cover all kinds of conditions, 
and actions that are taken or exist outside the control of the police. Because again, the broad purpose is to really understand why did this happen, not just who did what. The next critical element is that the events be investigated by qualified experts. As my lieutenant colonel colleague from the Air Force often said, said, if I crash my Air Force jet, I didn't want the local barber investigating it. And that made sense. You know, policing is a specialized field. They're special areas of expertise. And we need people that have subject matter expertise. That doesn't mean it's always limited to police expertise. It could be expertise in medicine, emergency response, metallurgy, local government, emergency communications, all kinds of different fields, depending on the facts of the, of the incident. The next critical element is that the report findings be reviewed by qualified, credible authorities. So not only does the investigation need to be done by qualified experts, but the review be conducted, the receipt of those findings and the assessment of them be done by people with uh, relevant credentials to the particular issues being raised. And then lastly, the, the last critical element is that these report findings be disseminated routinely and systematically. And not just to the chief of the agency at issue, but to the general public. And I think as important, most importantly, to the entire police field, at least within that state. The real potential of Sentinel event reviews is that police agencies are able to learn from one another's mistakes. And they don't have to repeat those mistakes themselves in order to learn that lesson. And the more we're able to share these findings and recommendations and follow-up actions with other police agencies, the quicker we get to a safer future. Thanks, Mark. Uh, That's very helpful. You and uh, John Holloway, the executive director of the Quattrone Center for the Fair Administration of Justice, guided the newly created Sentinel Events Review Board in Tucson through a review of a couple of in-custody deaths that took place. Can you tell us about about that review and did it achieve what you had hoped it would would? Yeah, the reviews in Tucson actually predated this uh, American Arbitration Association Mm -hmm. Foundation funding. And that likewise came at the request of the Tucson police chief. Chris Magnus was the chief at the time. And the Tucson police had recently experienced two separate in-custody deaths. Both of these in-custody deaths were of young Latino men. Both of them involved what we think was a drug intoxication of these young men. They were both being taken into custody, and they both experienced what is generally described as excited delirium in the police field. And it was the police response to those, both the handling of the young men and their deaths, but also the police administration's handling of information sharing with the public, both conspired to create a a real sense of crisis in the agency and the community. And so it got to the point where Chief Magnus actually tendered his resignation to the city because of all the public criticism. Thankfully, the city manager 
with the support of the council and the mayor, did not accept his resignation. And that allowed us to continue our work. So we worked very closely with the Tucson police. It was they, they requested the review. They were involved in it, including helping to organize the review. They chose not to use their existing Sentinel Event Review Board. So they wanted us to, from ASU, um, and then in turn through uh, University of Pennsylvania Law School and John Hallway, they wanted us to take a stronger role in guiding the process. Uh, because they really felt that they needed to demonstrate to the, their community that they, the Tucson police, were not essentially reviewing themselves, that there was an external component to this. What was really interesting about the Tucson reviews, and this I credit to Chief Magnus and to the, the current chief, who, who was then the, the second in charge, they were insistent that community members including some very vocal critics of the Tucson Police Department, participated in this review. They were very eager to, to let their critics inside the process uh, to actually be part of the review and part of the process of recommending improvements. They were also, and we, were, we strongly encouraged it, they wanted their union, police union, to be represented in the process as well. And so both those things occurred. We met four full days. We sketched out a very detailed process. I played the role of uh, kind of the uh, facilitator of the discussions. I presented the facts of the case to the, the members of this board and then facilitated the discussion of what we consider to be relevant contributing factors and then the process of making recommendations. We ended up with identifying, I think, uh, as I recall, 32 separate contributing factors, and we came out with 53 recommendations. Now, again, we were combining two different incidents, but they had enough in common. To some extent, there were different contributing factors in each of the deaths, but there were some common denominators as well. Mike, this process in, in many ways is, is very different than how police agencies have historically looked at serious errors and, and mistakes and sort of internally looked at causation of, of those errors. Do you see it gaining traction and do you expect it to become more widely accepted? It's a great question. I think as with a lot of things in policing, new ideas can start out as unthinkable as this one did. I remember first pitching this idea to some police chiefs in Wisconsin. And they said, this will never happen and I will never support it. Not just police chiefs, but uh, prosecutors as well. And until they really thought it through and spent time with the issues and understood it in its entirety. And then they began move toward grudging acceptance of the possibility of the idea, eventually to a commitment to support the idea. And I think fairly quickly, certainly in Wisconsin, and now as I see other states following suit just on the independent review concept, it's almost becoming a non-controversial issue. We're almost at a point where you know many police agencies are saying, well, of course, of course you wouldn't investigate your own shootings. You'd have somebody from the outside come in and do that. 
And so I've seen that same kind of resistance and then slow, gradual tolerance of the idea. And then it hits a tipping point at which it becomes, well, almost uh, why hadn't we been doing this all along? I'm beginning to see that here in Arizona as well. The Sentinel event review process, as we recognize in Wisconsin, is it's the next step. And so just because people have come to terms with the independent investigation doesn't automatically mean that they're going to go for the full external Sentinel event type review. So I've identified and, and you know published on this uh, some what I think are the, the real key challenges to institutionalizing this idea. And the first is the painstaking process of persuading key stakeholders within any jurisdiction. You have to have police executives persuaded. You have to have union leaders persuaded. You need city managers. Critically, you need prosecutors because they always worry that this is an incursion on their authority. You'd like to have insurance representatives are important, those who provide the liability insurance for municipalities and local governments. And of course, you want you know key people who pay attention from the community, and you'd like to have legislators involved as well, because these things often require legislation to, to make them a reality. So that's one of the challenges. And within that, uh, one of the key concerns is safeguarding the integrity of other investigations. You really have to assure police chiefs that they're not losing their authority to enforce their own policies. You want to assure prosecutors that they're not losing their authority to decide on criminal prosecution. And you just have to work through the detailed issues of how you can have parallel investigations. Now, police are already used to doing this in balancing the criminal and the administrative investigations, but this is just another layer of complexity to that. The third key challenge is really ensuring the requisite confidentiality that the people who participate in the Sentinel event review process deeply understand and commit to keeping confidential everything that they learn in that process, other than what gets reported out to the public. You see things, and anybody who's done, uh, investigated a police-involved uh, fatality, knows that you see, you see very people that they're in crisis. You see some, some very uh, traumatizing things. You have access to just a lot of very personal information and confidentiality is, a, is the lack of it can kill this whole process. The fourth real big challenge is, is creating an infrastructure. And this is why uh, legislation is important because the legislation should, needs to provide funding as well. These things are not simple to do. The incident I'm currently reviewing is taking me literally a hundred or more hours just to review the body-worn camera footage from this incident. So it takes time and it takes a lot of people, a number of people to be involved in the process. And then the biggest, I think, challenge is, and the most important one to overcome, is the challenge of actually ensuring that the recommendations that are made get taken seriously. And ideally, many, if not all of them, are actually implemented. And that's something, you know, we're not entirely sure how you could make a police chief or a city or a county adopt the recommendations. 
But obviously, if all of this just leads to reports that sit on a, a shelf, nothing is ever done, then the potential of the process is not realized. We're just about out of time, but could you take just a minute to tell us what the Center for Problem-Oriented Policing is and what it does? The Center for Problem-Oriented Policing, um, for those who are not familiar with the concept of problem-oriented policing, it's just a, a broad approach to improving the effectiveness of the police in the way in which they handle all of their business. So we created the center in about 2000 for the purpose of advancing this concept, this approach to policing. Its core mission is to provide to police practitioners an organized and accessible body of knowledge that's rooted in both research and good practice about how police can most effectively deal with the literally hundreds of different kinds of community public safety problems that they routinely confront. And so we've identified approximately 250 different policing problems that are fairly common for police to have to deal with, everything from the low level of noise complaints to the higher level of homicide and gang violence and things of that sort, and everything in between. And one by one, we've been producing concise, research-based and practice-based guidebooks for the police, sharing knowledge about how to effectively, uh, what does and does not work in dealing with these problems. And so if you think about it, it actually has some parallels with the Sentinel event review process in that it is based on using careful research, data, real-world experience, and then sharing that widely throughout the profession so that you get this uh, positive virtuous cycle of continuous learning and adaptation and sharing of knowledge to speed up the process by which the police become more effective. Sounds like that might be a uh, separate topic for another uh, another episode. We might need a couple of episodes to cover that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Mike, I uh, can't thank you enough for spending the time with us on our podcast today. More importantly, thanks for all the work that you're doing to help police agencies take advantage of this review process to better serve their, their communities. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed the latest episode of the Community Safety Webcast. If you did, make sure you subscribe and give us a like on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. Thank you, and we hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to Community Safety Web Podcast. We want to thank our colleagues at the FSU College of Criminology and Criminal Justice, Dr. Tom Blomberg, Dr. George Pesta, and Natalie Edwards-Heller for their support and assistance in producing the Community Safety Podcast. 